You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and here with me, as usual, is Mr. Brent Bergherm. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well. Good to be here. Excellent. Excellent. All right. I wanted to start off, Brent, because the last episode, we talked about the switch that you're in the midst of making from Canon to Fuji. <laughs> it's only been a week, so you know, yeah. not a lot of time to, to see how it is, but I just thought the listeners would be interested. And I've, I've seen enough activity on Facebook. I thought we should at least just check in and say, what's changed in the last week? How have things gone? There, there have been so many people that have reached out and there's been a lot of activity in the Facebook group and I've received uh, at least a couple of emails directly. Uh, people supporting you know, both the idea of understanding the challenge that uh, we're dealing with in these files and it's, it's just not for them. And then other people uh, saying, you know, it's the best things. Well, I, I can't put characterize it that way. I was about to say the best things that sliced bread, but <laughs> right. um, that would be, a, that would not be a fair characterization of what they're saying. But, you know, I, on my Latitude uh, podcast, I have talked with uh, three prominent, fairly prominent people who all shoot the Fuji and the last one has yet uh, of that is David Dushemin, and that one has yet to actually publish. That one's going to be released uh, August four. Um, but when I was talking with Dan Bailey, uh, you know, he he had some really good advice for me. But that was also an hour and a half long. Whew, it was a long episode, but a lot of people reached out and saying they really enjoyed it and all that good stuff. So there's been a lot of good stuff going on there, and I am about to because I'm going to tell you what's going on. That that was that's the brief history. I'm about to disappoint some people though. Uh oh, and I'm even disappointing actually myself. Okay, because and this is where it gets a little deeper, and this is where I just simply ask listeners to say, you know what? Um, even for myself, I haven't fully formulated the exact words I want to use for my thinking and the and, and for why I did what I did. But the bottom line is, I sent it back. Uh. There's a couple of reasons why I sent it back. One was I was feeling a bit of pressure simply because we've got a certain return window from B&H or right. whoever you buy a camera from. Uh, we've got a return window. And so there's just, I, I couldn't answer some of the questions that I had quickly enough. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And when I have some questions that I can't get answered, in one sense, I want to say, you know, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and I'm going to, you know, knock this thing out. And I so, so, so badly wanted it to just work from start to finish because really the the act of shooting is so far superior in my opinion to uh what I'm doing with a full frame you know, standard DSLR and it was kind of painful to to send it back because <laughs> I was just like I there's just I, I identified three items that were troubling for me and when when I have those three items that are troubling for me, I simply know that when I'm out there shooting, it's going to be in the back of my mind and affecting right. my shooting process. And I didn't want to have that hiccup. I wasn't sure I could overcome it. Since I was since I'm in the, you know, the under the the guise of 
I, I have to return it or not. You know, it's either going to be mine and I'm going to be dissatisfied or I can return it and get my money back. I decided to go ahead and err on the side of getting my money back for now. And I can still work with the files. I can still uh, explore different options and see what comes of it. One thing that I'm saying I'm kind of sort of somewhat disappointing myself over is I, I certainly did find that Luminar does a fantastic job of processing those images in like three or five days, somewhere in there after I sent it out, sent it back, they announced Luminar Flex, which is a plugin for Lightroom, which right. brings a, the Luminar processing engine into the Lightroom workflow. And I was just like, really, guys? <laughs> <laughs> that might have solved your problems. <laughs> you, you, couldn't have, you couldn't have done this just a little bit sooner because um, it might have solved my problem. So I'm still going to go down that route and I'm still going to, I believe I'm still going to get a copy of that. And I'm going to test it out because I still have some good files that I can test it out on and I can see exactly how it's going to go. Uh, but for now, I did did send it back. Uh, when listeners are getting on the Latitude Network and uh, listening to my conversation with David Dushemin, at that point, I still had the camera. I believe I did anyway. Um, yeah, I still had the camera. And I went out and did some fantastic testing with it. Uh, where I where I did some printing, and you can listen to all those details. And then on the August 11, that's when I'm going to release uh, on my feed, Latitude feed, the news that I've just released here. So I'm ah. kind of scooping myself, <laughs> as it were. Um, I didn't, but you know, what? I didn't mean to I have you do networks, that, <laughs> at least partly. So so that's okay. Okay, so <laughs> I, I the good thing about this whole deal, though, is and and I, listeners, I, I don't think you need to send in any kind of like, hey, Brent, you made a mistake. Let's you, you know try to convince him to to change his mind again. That's not the point of this. The point is no. switching cameras is tough, and we we made that point. Uh, we drove that home last episode, I think. So I, I won't go into it further here, but yeah. You know, it, we we tend to um, to look at new gear and lust after it. And we're going to make that a little worse in the rest of the episode. Today. Yeah, we sure but, are. But um, <laughs> but it's not always better when you switch. It's not always better. So I, I think the advice that we kind of uh, came to a little bit last week, and, and I just want to reiterate that point again right now, is that you really need to have like something that you can't do with your current camera. Is there something you actually can't accomplish with the current camera that you think a different camera will be able to provide? And then you rent it maybe and see. Please can, do rent it. It's a lot easier it. on yourself. <laughs> right? <laughs> For sure. Can you prove that that after by renting it, that it solves your problem? That the one, the thing you couldn't do with the camera you already have, you can do with the new one. And then by all means, that's going to be awesome. You're, you know now that that's going to be what's going to solve your problem and help you out. But there's so much that you can do with your camera now. And I, yeah. I, I am very firmly convinced now that I've talked to thousands of photographers for a lot of years, I'm really convinced that nearly everybody upgrades too early. Like there is so much capability in even the most entry level of DSLRs or, or mirrorless cameras today that uh, it would take a lot to get beyond right. your needs to get beyond what those cameras are capable of. So my advice is improve and, and make sure you know exactly how to use the camera you've got already. And the newer ones, sure, they list, they sound cool. And we're going to go through that right now in a new one that's been released that sounds really cool. Um, but it may not be greener on the other side. You may, you may have, you may lose productivity 
um, by switching and having to learn kind of how you can get similar results to what you were getting in a brand new system. It's not always right. going to be awesome. So, yeah. And I also want to stress on this, you know, my my desire to change had nothing to do with a Canon system. Right. Causing me to not get images I want to create. The, my change, my impetus for change is is really more about my user experience of the active shooting. And of course, if it can't meet what I'm used to on the back end in post-production, and that's where I ended up running into the problems. And again, I'll, I get in all of the details in, in my Latitude feed, but that's where I ended up running into the problems where I just was like, oh, I, I so, so much love this machine for <laughs> what it does for me when I'm out shooting. And it did everything I wanted it to do and more when I was out shooting. But now you're talking about too with the idea of, you know, switching over, you know, can can cause problems. Even if I did ultimately decide to keep it, I still would have to take my Canon with me uh, when I'm going on my, my trip to Denver here shortly because I just yesterday booked uh, a commercial gig in Denver and there's no way I could have done it with the Fuji simply because I don't have as mature of right, an understanding right. of that system, nor did I have the specific lenses that I would need to get the shots that the client needs. So I'd be bringing my Canon anyway. So, you know, as far as the immediate results are concerned, it's still that process of it, it would have taken time to to fully integrate and fully move over. Uh, but anyway, it's it got sent back and and hopefully... You know, as as other new cameras come out, I, I, my goal now is to just be patient, see what else comes out. Uh, I'm still looking for that lighter system. I'm still looking for something that would uh, give me a better experience uh, on the shoulders and in the hands as, right. as I'm holding and whatnot. But yeah, oh well, it's 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 been a good experience, and I really appreciate all the listeners uh, giving feedback and both encouragement and otherwise because it's it's been really. Uh, a topic that people have been engaged with. So that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. And, and I'm glad our community is engaged. I, I love the community that we have. It's it's such a wonderful community. And speaking of that, if if you're new to the podcast, you haven't heard it before, we have a Facebook group. That's the, the landing spot for the um, Master Photography Podcast community today. You can just go search in Facebook for Master Photography and you'll be able to find it. There's links in the show notes. Every show notes episode, we have a link to that group. You do have to answer the question about a name of the host. So Brent works, Jeff works, Connor, Erica, Brian, any of the guests that we've had on, any of those names, if you have any of them, Lord Page, I love that one when Lord Page comes on. <laughs> um, but uh, any of those will work and you have to answer it or we know you're not a listener. And we've ha I've had a number of them lately, a request to join the group where what they put in there is, I'm going to go download the app and listen right now. I'm like, well, you still don't yeah. know then. <laughs> so go ahead and come, come back. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so declining those people. I know not everyone loves Facebook. It's just the easiest platform that we know of today to provide this. I'm looking to four other options. You know, Slack was one that we've we kind of thought about a little bit, but it won't support the number of users without uh, licensing it for for more money than we want to pay for it. So, right. Uh, anyway, if you have suggestions, I'd love to hear them. But you probably have already heard most of the suggestions that you've got. But fire it away and, and let us know. And we'd love to have you join the community. All right. Now let's make everyone's gear acquisition syndrome, the gas problem that we just talked about where people give up on their current camera too fast. Let's make that worse. Let's go ahead and, and talk about a brand new camera that Sony has recently announced here in uh, July 2019. Now, let's preface this with 
Neither of us have had any hands-on experience with the camera, so we cannot speak from experience with it. Uh, just like all of you, we're kind of just reading the material. I've spent um, a lot of hours reading through the material, though, so far, and and it's interesting. I, I like what we can do is compare it to the predecessor. So we're talking about the Sony a7R4. It's going to be released in September 2019, but they've had a press event. They got some photographers, early hands-on experience. They flew people out and had an experience with them. So there's there's tons of reviews and things that you could go if you're super interested and and get a lot of feedback from it. So it's just kind of pouring in right now. But I wanted to talk through it here. And, and in particular, Brent, I want to, as we go through the specs, um, try to keep in mind newer photographers who don't know what all these numbers and words necessarily mean as yeah. we go through it. We try to do that. I think every time we go through one of these cameras so that newer listeners, newer photographers have a chance at kind of understanding what, what all this stuff means and, and what we think about it. And then at the end, we're going to answer the question. So Brent, be thinking all the way through, is this <laughs> something that's, that we're convinced we need, we must have. We, we are gonna, oh, I've already got an answer for okay, you. Okay, <laughs> good, good. All right. So we'll, we'll, do, we'll wrap that, the show up with that question. Oh, yeah. At the end. Oh, yeah. All right. Very good. So let's start off with some of the specs. This camera has a brand new uh, sensor. It's a 61 megapixel Exmor. I'm not sure how you say that, but... I e- think that's right. E-X-M-O-R... Exmor R, uh, BSI, it means it has some image stabilization inside of the sensor. Uh, no, CMOS that sensor. one's backside illuminated. Oh, sorry, backside illuminated. That's right. That's right. That helps. Uh, it, it's another technology that helps with, with low light performance. It's really, really cool. Um, okay, so 61 megapixels. It's only made a big deal about world's first 61 megapixel full frame sensor. And true, okay, there's nothing else that <laughs> has that. But I'll bet that, uh, you know, new camera releases from all the other players are probably going to have, you know, comp- comparable sensors soon. They may oh, yeah. even, you know, Nikon has uh, bought sensors through from Sony. They've, they've used Sony sensors in their cameras a lot. So it may be the exact same one in, a, in an upcoming Nikon. We'll see. But how does it compare to the previous models? Kind of what I want to do on a lot of these specs and um, the previous model, the A7R three, was a 42 megapixel sensor, so it's quite a bit bigger or more resolution in this in the sensor. And then Sony made a really big deal in this press event that I don't think happened in the previous ones, where they talked a lot about the crop mode, and it's it's been yeah. there. The A7 three supported a crop mode too. I mean, most DSL full frame DSLRs support that in some fashion, so that you can use that if you want to. But they made a big deal out of it in this in this event, and I think it's because if you crop this sensor, it's a full twenty six point two megapixels, which is a lot. That's still a ton of resolution, and you have a, a lot of focus points that covers pretty much the entire area of the crop sensor, um, part of the sensor that gets used when you when you shoot stills, and uh, and they made such a big deal out of it because I think that that they're believing like that's really going to help with the sports shooters in particular or wildlife right. shooters or whatever, where, where there may be some interest in, in utilizing the crop, still getting a lot of resolution, still having a lot of focus capabilities and then increasing things like the frames per second and, and the buff buffer depth, how many photos you can take before it kind of slows down because it can't write out to the memory card fast enough. Very, very cool kind of stuff. So 
the danger is this is the leading number that everyone talks about the megapixels <laughs> of the sensor. Everyone goes there and oh, look, it's like a 61 megapixels. That's so much better. The others don't have 61. And and it's true, but that's not everything. It's it's I've made this comparison before, but in in comp- computers, it's also like the gigahertz race. Like what's the the gigahertz speed of the of the processor that tends to be the stat that everyone goes to, to judge the computer. When in reality, that is not, that's far from the only thing that matters. There's so many other components in a computer that matter over the megahertz or gigahertz of, of the processor. And it's the same with the camera. It's cool. I love that it's, you know, 61 megapixels. I personally, I don't know that I need that because I'm shooting a sensor that's way less than that. And I'm getting really good results. I'm, I like the images that I'm able to create. What do you think about that, Brent? I think it's kind of like what you're saying. I think it's a fantastic push forward, but it is just one of those things that, well, I guess you could say on the, on the flip side, what else do manufacturers have to look at? I mean, we can right, look at right. frames per second and some of these other specs, but when it comes to when it comes to the camera industry these days, and it has been for quite a while, you know, you've got your different formats. We've talked about crop sensor, which is literally a smaller sensor. You've got the full frame, you've got medium format. They're claiming this 61 megapixel gives us, quote, medium format quality in a full frame body. So they're trying to kind of convince us that this is worth more or something like that. And, you know, there there might be some things to to draw that, that, that where that makes sense. But yeah, 61 megapixels is just a ton of information. <laughs> and right. I, wow, <laughs> that is that as someone like me who likes to print big whenever I can, you know, this just tickles my funny bone because I love it. But working with those files also is just like, thankfully, I just bought a new machine because <laughs> my old machine would not, it would just beg for mercy. So, uh, so yeah, people who don't have a new machine are are, are going to probably have you know significant lags working in Lightroom or whichever processor of choice they're using. Yep, and and that's a good point to make to uh, photographers who may be starting out. While this number is big and it means you have tons of resolution and and then that you have a ton of capability in post to crop in on the image and, yeah, and yeah. still retain a lot of information and detail, which is really cool. Uh, the file size is going to be ginormous. These, these are going to be really large. I'm, if I was to guess, it'd probably be around 70 megabytes per file. I don't know, something like that. Maybe 70 to 100, somewhere in there, or it depends on what you're shooting a little bit too. But it, wow, those are going to be huge, yeah. <laughs> huge files for every single image. Um, what's impressive though about this whole system now, as we go through the rest of the specs, is to keep in mind that we have such a massive resolution sensor and it's still able to keep up in the low light performance and in the frames per second. And none of the other specs suffer because it's such a high megapixel uh, sensor. And that's really impressive to me. That's really cool. Yeah. That is something when they were going down the the list, one thing that, you know, I watched that release keynote, whatever they want to call it, uh-huh. where they're talking about these things. One thing that I was kind of laughing at, the guy kept saying, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> it's respectable. Uh, sure. <laughs> it's really it's really impressive that we have 15 stops and some of these other specs that are coming through, even though this is still 61 megapixels on a full frame. You know, that means those individual pixel sizes 
are the smallest they've ever been for a full frame camera. Right. Yet we still have, at least on paper, really good right. uh, specs coming through, and that's that's definitely respectable. Definitely a very impressive. a very fair point, though. This is still mostly based on paper. <laughs> yes, yeah. there's photographers who are getting some hands on. And they're putting out reviews, but it's still super early even for that. They, we don't have a ton of experience out there in the in- industry with hands-on yeah. with these cameras. So all of this stuff we're talking about, it may change. We may have a follow-up episode at some point. It's like, wow, the A7R4 really has a problem with you know something. Who knows what it is. or that. Yeah, or it may be. I, the one photographer I looked at, he took it out and did some beautiful images he could only shoot in JPEG mode because there's no software sure, right. to to run those RAWs. Right. Even Sony wasn't providing their their whatever they call their global artists, whatever they call them, they weren't providing them with software to convert those RAWs. So uh, they're only shooting JPEG as the present right now. Right. So as as we get to see the detail in those raw images, that'll be what um, I'll be interested in that, that yep. for sure. Yep. All right. So let, let's move on to the next feature or next spec that I wanted to talk about. This is kind of a cool concept. It's not something that applies to all types of of photography, though. And that's this pixel shift technology. Um, Most of the manufacturers are offering this in their new cameras. And uh, so with pixel shift, um, we're not going to go into the details here about how this works. Um, I think it's a little misleading when they talk about it's a 240 megapixel image that results. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's how everyone in the industry is measuring it. So, you know, you have to let it, you know, be measured that way so that you can compare because everyone's doing it. Anyway, uh, what this does <laughs> is you shift, you, you, the camera takes 16 frames. Um, you push the shutter button. I, well, I don't know for sure how the function will be. I assume you push the shutter button once and it will fire off 16 frames and then it's kind of moving some stuff around just like moving the sensor around just a little bit to to get a little tiny bit different view on what so the photo sites get different light is what it's amounting to anyway the end result is you can in post and i'm not sure that we've seen a lot of this yet either it's too early for people have tried it in post you can use special software that sony provides this will not happen in lightroom Today doesn't happen in Photoshop. You have to use the software that Sony provides. You'll get those 16 frames and then you import them out or you copy them to your computer and you put them in this special software from Sony and it, it puts all those images together and spits out a 240 megapixel uh, image as a result. So kind of a cool thing. It, yeah. It doesn't have full applicability though. Like you, you have to have scenes where there's not a whole bunch of motion going on. If there's motion happening this isn't going to work well <laughs> you're going to have like ghosting happening because it's take you know it takes some time to go through 16 right. images not a ton of time so it's if you have a little bit of movement it might not be too bad but yeah you're not you're not going to use this on sports you're not going to use this on on portraits probably uh it, it's just it's going to have some practical uses in landscape is there any other situation you can think of brent where it might be helpful I could see potentially this might still work out if you're doing like a waterfall because the movement in sure. a waterfall is rather consistent. Sure. And it may work there okay. Um, maybe it depends on your shutter speed as well. But uh, as far as, you know, how long each capture is, because again, you have 16 images that you're dealing with. Uh, it would be something I would like to test it out on in a yeah, waterfall oh yeah. or, or something yeah. else that has movement that is rather consistent like that. 
but otherwise you're thinking still lifes in a studio or you know something i think one of the examples they showed was uh, some interior you know the artwork sure. on the ceiling or something like that sure. where this camera can just be rock solid still throughout this whole 16 images and then it goes it goes um and does its business and and then you're fine. Sure. Yeah, maybe like a real estate agent or a real estate yeah. photographer that that would be a really cool use case for this. Not sure you even need a 20 240 megapixel no. image for that, <laughs> but you know, kind of a cool thought. Uh might yeah. be might be fun. All but right. there's a little bit of the math I want to look at with this too. So if you're taking 16 images at 61 megapixels, that's actually 976 megapixels. Which is why I mean, it it's a it's a weird number. Yeah. Really what it's doing here is filling in the the detail information from the Bayer pattern filter. You're only getting, you know, the camera's guessing essentially when when you are or when you demosaic that process, right. wherever you're demosaicing the file, it's guessing what colors go where. And with this little pixel shift that's going on, it makes it so the camera doesn't really have to guess anymore. Right. And it, 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 so it, it captures every color at every pixel space every color, or location. Yes, that's right. Uh, but it's downsizing that full-on capture to that 240 megapixels. So it's interesting. Um, you know, I guess that they would still call it 240 megapixels because I guess they're trying to capture the space between pixels too. Because yeah. you wouldn't need 16 captures just to get True. just to shift it over to get to grab the color in that in that other pixel location but anyway it gets a little confusing in the audio format um it'll be interesting to test, test this out and, and see what happens once it's out the end result here for for again the, the new kind of photographers this isn't one you should care about <laughs> no all. no not and not a panasonic has done this with their recent yep. uh release of cameras uh they're advertising like 96 megapixels for the for their r and then the s the s1 and then the s1r has 120 something right. i forget the exact numbers so you know, don't shoot me, but um, it's it's something along those lines of they're doing the same thing in their recent release as well. Yep. It'll help someone like Don Kamarechka, um, who's doing macro and snowflakes and uh, those kinds of things. He's Those things are holding still for him and, and he needs massive amount of megapixels to to capture the full detail. So it's a, but it's a niche thing. It's, it's not something that yeah. every photographer needs. I'm not, I'd use it just for fun, just to try it out, but I don't know that it would be a practical thing where I'd use it frequently. So right. not, not a spec I really care about, but kind of cool. I, I like it. The, the manufacturers are playing around with stuff. It's, it's a good thing. All right. Next one, 10 frames per second shooting with AF and tracking. And the yeah. important part of that is some of the other cameras we have talked about this year in 2019 that have been released, that was they they offered a high frame rate, but it was without AF and tracking. You couldn't have those going at the same time. And so that's a very respectable frame rate. That's enough. I'd even shoot sports with it. Um, that would be really, really cool. It's no different than the A7R3, also had about 10 frames per second. And if you shoot in crop, and again, this is another thing that they made a big deal of in the event, it triples that frame rate. So you'll get 30 frames Mm. per second if you shoot crop. And that's cool. That's really cool. Now, the sports shooter in me, (laughs) I shoot crop already, so that wouldn't bother me at all to to have a cropped view of the, the scene that I'm shooting. And 30 frames a second with AF and tracking, that's cool. I like it. That's almost cheating. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Just holy yeah. cow. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. So I love that one. Um, that's that's a really good, good spec on this camera. And again, impressive because 
you have that really high megapixel sensor and they're still getting 10 frames a second. You you added 20 megapixels between the A7R 3 to the 4 and you maintained the frame rate. And that's yeah. that's just really cool. I like it. Okay, uh, next let's talk about the shutter because there's some changes here with the shutter and uh, and it's kind of neat. So first off, I, I actually didn't look up what the frame shutter, or sorry, the shutter life was on the A7R 3 but on the four, it's 500,000, which is almost double what most other cameras or more than double from a lot of yeah. other cameras, what they're rated for and how long this shutter is going to last. That's really cool. I like it. Uh, another part about this is they kind of redesigned the shutter a little bit. Um, some of the the feedback I guess they got with the a7 III was that the shutter, especially when you use the high frame rate, the shutter was causing some bouncing that was going on to make it so that the images became a little bit soft as they were shooting. They weren't as sharp as they thought they could have been. And so they redesigned it a little bit. New design has has um, some features in there to break and dampen, reduce the mechanical front and rear curtain vibration, absorbing mechanical shock. And so that's really cool that not only is it rated for a really long life, 500,000 shutter actuations is a ton of shutter actuations. It's also designed now to, to try to minimize how much the bouncing of the shutter could impact your photos, which is going to be a big deal in very low light, like like sports. Again, I, I'm going to sports because it's an extreme situation where you're challenging your camera to perform. Now um, that that image stabilization we're going to talk about in a second, combined with the frame rate, you might be able to lower your shutter speed and still get sharp images because of the combination of these things. And that that's just very, very cool. I like it. What do you think of the shutter shutter life? Brent? It's definitely good stuff. Uh, with and I even think too, even with me as a landscapist, I get concerned about that when I'm uh, tripod mounted, uh-huh. and I got to think about you know that shutter slap is is going to cause, especially mirror slap. But you know this doesn't have a mirror, but uh, even the shutter slap can cause uh, subtle problems in your exposure. Right. And I don't worry about it. If it's like a 10-second exposure, you know, that little amount of shutter slap is such a small percentage of my overall exposure that I don't care about it if it's a really long exposure. But when you have that mid-range exposure right. where it's like maybe 30th of a second, you know, down to half a second, whatever, you can have uh, something going on there uh, where it could be noticeable in, in certain, you know, depending on how beefy your tripod is and the like. So it's good to see this coming like this because it'll help even the nature photographer too. Yep. All right. The fastest shutter speed it supports is one eight thousandth of a second, pretty standard. And the uh, sync speed, the max sync speed is one two fiftieth of a second. So not, I think the X3 was, or the, sorry, the A7R3 was exactly the same, but, and that's, that's great. Those are good, good specs. The shutter sounds robust and I'm excited to see people trying to test that. I can, I can imagine some photographer getting one of these, one of these testers and like holding down the shutter button for uh, three or four days, trying to reach 500,000 shutters and, right. <laughs> and test it to see if it worked. But so we'll see, we'll see if that kind of a test shows up. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, all right, next one. Um, and this is a change between a seven R three to a seven four. It now has two UHS two card slots. So the a seven three had two card slots but only one was UHS-2, a faster kind of card speed. The other one was UHS-1. 
And people, there were photographers saying, ah, this just doesn't work. They want to shoot to both cards at once to have the backup, the redundancy there. But if they do, the shooting speed, the frame rate goes down very quickly because it can't write as quickly to the UHS-1 card slot. I, I don't understand why Sony did that in the A7R 3 to have one slot that was way slower than the other. That doesn't make much sense to me. But it's fixed. The A7R 4 now has both slots, full speed UHS-2 cards. That's really cool. Yeah, that that does confuse me too. Why you would, you know, a lot of people, you, you might as well just put one card slot on there almost. As, <laughs> right. You know, that's that's my kind of thinking of it. But I, I'm I'm one who has always used only one card in the first place. But to have that limitation on one of them, it just doesn't seem right. And they could have easily done the two UHS-2s in that other camera. But yes, it's fixed. It's, it's those, good. Those folks are going to love it for sure. It's how it should have been in the A7R 3 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. So now it's fixed. All right. Next one, uh, buffer memory. So this is, it's like it, there's an extra, there's a memory in your camera that's between what is being shot on the sensor and your memory card. And that buffer is what allows us to get a really high frame rate. When that buffer gets filled, now all you can do is shoot as fast as it can write those pictures, the the frames that you're taking to the memory card, and that's way slower than this buffer. So the bigger the buffer, the better, the, the more images you can fit in there. And this is really impressive to me again, that we've got much higher megapixels. That means it's going to take more space inside the memory of the cam, the buffer, and Yet we we have a really long buffer depth, how many photos you can take before you run out of the buffer. So they increased the buffer size by 1.5 times. That's quite a bit over the A7R 3 And you can do 68 compressed raw images or 30 uncompressed raw frames before that buffer will fill up. And that's up from, I as far as I could tell, I couldn't find exactly compressed, uncompressed um, as I did a quick search today. On the A7R3, I think it was only 30 frames a second in the buffer in the A7R3. So it's a it's an improvement here. Um, and you can multiply that by three if you shoot in crop mode. So you get <laughs> which is just insane. 204 <laughs> frames before that buffer gets filled up in crop. So two, 204 <laughs> frames at 30 frames a second. Right. Is uh I, I want to do my math really quick. Uh, 6.8 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, right. So, you know, that's 61 megapixel video for 6.8 seconds. And it can be tracked and focused. So, I mean, it's like you're taking video almost. That's full right. Full frame, or sorry, crop, but full resolution, 26, point, uh, 26 oh, megapixel good, good images. Point. I, I messed up with that. Yeah. Yeah. The 26 megapixel. 26 yeah. megapixel images for almost seven seconds as at 30 frames a second that's that's or sorry more than that it was 68 frames no 30 it was 30 frames a second yeah 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 yeah. that's insane (laughs) it's really cool that what what a phenomenal job that they've done with this that's a really cool spec all right next one is 15 stops of dynamic dynamic range and that may be the marketing number. Um, the tested number of the A7R3 that I could find was 14.7. And that's close enough that marketing probably rounds that to 15 and maybe it's about the same. But that's, again, really cool. That's a ton of dynamic range, which Sony sensors are very well known for. Is a lot of dynamic range that the sensors are capable of. And then um, to increase the megapixels means the photo sites are smaller 
yet they still maintained the dynamic range. Now, I'm waiting for tests before I judge this one. We'll see if people say, yes, it has as much dynamic range or slightly more as the A7R 3 But either way, it's probably going to be a phenomenal camera for dynamic range because most all the Sony sensors seem to have that. Yeah, this is the one spec that when I saw that coming through, and I'm like, really? Off a 61 megapixel sensor? That's quite impressive. It's very impressive. And I cannot wait because we, we Sony has this, you know, the, the A7R 3 and the A7 III. And so the A7 III is less megapixels, but it's regarded as having better low light capabilities right. because those photosites on the sensor are so much larger. It has a much better chance at capturing accurate amounts of light per photosite. So I look at this and I'm just thinking, hmm, I'm starting to drool now if the A7 IV, whenever, or, or whatever that might end up being, if that comes out at like 30 megapixels and maybe it's going to have like 15 and a half stops, 16 stops. Right. Uh, that could be super impressive and is something that I definitely have my eye on. <laughs> We're going to be watching for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, when, when this camera was announced, the rumors I saw associated like at the same time was where's the non-R? <laughs> is it dead? Yeah, yeah. Is that is that line not there anymore? Right. And so we'll have to see if Sony's going to keep going on that line or not. Um, but you're right. If they have that line and it's even if it's uh, the megapixels go down again, that's not a number I'm ultra concerned about. If the dynamic range goes up because they they took the megapixels down, I, that's a trade I would make for sure. Yeah. And yeah I, I like that. Okay, next next stat here, five axis IBIS image stabilization in the sensor in the camera body because in with the sensor. So you, you don't need it in the lens. Uh, I think they'll still have some lenses. Do, do they not have yeah. lenses that also have it? Yeah. I thought they so. They do. Yeah. So you can kind of get a combination of the two and they work together. They've been designed to work together so they're not competing against one another, which could be a problem. But it's right there in the camera, which means you get five and a half stops of image stabilization without having it in the lens. Super cool. Same as the a7 III, by the way. The a7R III was, was, had the same specs. So that's, that's not changed. But again, we have this megapixel difference. So the fact that they could get this to work that way, still get the five and a half stops, even with a, a much larger, much more resolution uh, sensor, that's pretty impressive. It's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And for for those who may not be able to the newbies or whatever you want to consider yourself, if you're not if you're not sure exactly what that means, think about how sharp your image as far as a motion blur, you know, whether it's camera shake or uh, the subject shaking. We we really want to talk about camera shake really because that's what it affects. Uh but five stops uh, is pretty impressive. So yeah. if we're at one eight thousandth of a second originally, uh, we can go down all the way. You know, the one stop is four thousandth of a second, and then we can go all the <laughs> way down to two fiftieth of a second and get the same amount of camera stabilization, if you will, uh, is going to behave. It's going to look the same as the eight thousandth of a second. So, but again, I'm talking about that camera movement. I'm not talking right. about the subject movement. Right, and that's. That's pretty impressive. You know, 250th of a second is still going to give you a relatively sharp image. Just think if you started at 250th, then you're going down to like 15th of a second. Right. And your your camera is still effectively, if you will, rock solid. And it's going to move that sensor around to compensate for the movement 
even of your heartbeat. Because if you if you brace your camera, you brace your arm against your chest, then your heartbeat can literally have a little bit of a bump, if as it were, and affect the camera itself. And then if you have a long lens, that magnifies the movement all the more. Something like this helps counteract that for sure. Very good. Yeah, th- I've never had a camera. Well, so I've rented the A7R three, so I, I saw it then. But I don't shoot a camera that has um, image stabilization in the camera body, and I'd yeah. love to have it. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, it's a really cool feature. This is a number that people should pay attention to. This is a good one. Okay, next one. Let's talk about the focus points and focus system because they've made improvements. The A7R three was amazing with focus and it's supposed to be even better. All right. So there's four, 567 phase detection autofocus points, 75 or 74% coverage of the full frame sensor there, which is pretty decent. That's a a pretty good amount of, um, of phase detection autofocus points. That's up from the 399. So it's uh, 150 ish more focus points that were added from the A7R3 to the A7R4. Then there are um, 325 phase detection autofocus points in APS-C crop mode, which is a 95% coverage. So again, that's really cool to me. Um, My sports scenario, I want to have those focus points and I want to have the tracking going on. And edge to edge, almost edge to edge, really, really close edge to edge on what I'm seeing in in the viewfinder I'm going to have focus. I'm going to have the ability to focus if we do that. And that's that's really cool. Um, then the other important aspect of focus points is uh, how low light you can accomplish getting focus, having autofocus work. If it gets too dark, autofocus stops working. And um, and the minus three EV is the, the level here, which is pretty dark. <laughs> it's pretty low light. That is really dark. And A7R3 uh, had the same, the same value. So they didn't lose anything there. And that's, again, really amazing to me. I, I guess that really doesn't have as much to do with the, um, the sensor resolution as the other stuff we've talked about. So, so maybe, right. maybe not a, a big deal. It's the same, probably the same kinds of phase detection autofocus points that were in there. They just added a lot more. So that's good. Now the uh, other, uh, go ahead. I, I want to throw in one thing. If this, this is a respectable number and this is a number actually that I would, I, I could see benefiting photographers. Absolutely. Uh, quite a bit. But if this were a number that were really important to you, then this is not the camera for you. You need to <laughs> go with the EOS R, right? Because that's got like five thousand. Oh yeah, over five thousand phase detect, and that's sensors. And, and because every single photo site has a focus point on the sensor, so that's yeah. that's really cool. Um, I, the, I really bring that up to kind of just point the fallacy of how many Canon went <laughs> right with that one. It's kind of cool, but holy cow. Talk about overkill. Yeah. Uh, something like this. This makes sense. <laughs> so right. it's it's good to see they they didn't get caught up in that. Oh, we need to have ten thousand autofocus points. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> That's just too much. And then then the cool thing, like the A7R three. This is one of the 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 things that reviewers and and lots of photographers raved most about. All the other specs were great in the A7R three. But the IAF, the ability for the camera yeah. to track the eye of the, the p- people that you're photographing was far and away the best of any other camera manufacturer. Like it, it was amazing how well it worked. 
And it was updated even. The A7R 3 Sony put out an update just this year to improve it more and make it so it worked with, with animals. So they, they were, they've improved it a lot and they've done it again. So they made a big deal in the announcement that they have done even more work and they have kind of a, the next gen of their real-time IAF and it considers it, it in real time. It does tracking and it's watching the color that's in the scene. It's watching the patterns, brightness. It's watching the subject's distance, the depth, and it's analyzing all of that in real time and helping to make sure that it can keep locked on the focus with the eye. And it's incredible. If I can't wait to see the testing and the comparison testing, trying to say, trying to create a, a situation where the A7R3 AF kind of fails and doesn't work correctly. And the four does. I'm, I'm expecting to kind of see that sort of thing out there at some point. It's just game changing kind of feature here. Something a lot of people, photographers should care deeply about. I think in, in this, if, if you shoot portraits, especially. This I, I've tried in the, cause even the a 6400 has it. And that's a camera that I have access to through the school. And, uh, that eye control focus is amazing. I love it. So it's definitely good. I mean, it's just even better in this camera. And I just, it's just so, it, it makes so much sense, you know, and it's so easy to understand what the camera's doing. I just, it, it's wonderful. Yeah, I love it. This is a stat to pay attention to. Okay, next one is the viewfinder. So this is when you're looking through, like, you know, you, you think of with photographers, they hold one, one eye up to the camera. They're looking through the viewfinder there. Um, on these mirrorless cameras, it's a, an electronic viewfinder and the quality of that viewfinder has been increasing every generation of the camera that Sony puts out and the other manufacturer, the other mirrorless manufacturers are kind of following suit and, and, and actually Sony had kind of fallen behind just a bit. The A7R3 got surpassed by some other manufacturers and so they, they've caught up and now it is 5.76 million dot UXGA OLED viewfinder up from 3.6 million in the A7R3. So pretty significant increase in the number of dots in the in the viewfinder. Um, and then in the LCD screen on the back, um, it tilts up and down, but it's not fully articulating. You can't swing it out. Yeah, and, I would love all uh, manufacturers to get the swing out option. That would be really nice. Right. But with that viewfinder, this is about what Panasonic did with their S1 and S1R as well uh comparing to others though like with that fuji i tried that had like a 3.69 megapixel viewfinder that was pretty nice so that's about what the a7r3 is that's that was pretty good to have that extra beautiful detail coming through in your viewfinder though that pretty much makes it about like what you're experiencing with a slr where you're just seeing you know a, a straight shot of what you're seeing and without any you know video representation of it uh, and when you get that seven five point seven six million, that's that that's all right. I could I could see <laughs> that being very pleasing to operate. Right. I mean, uh, the three point six million dot one in the A seven R three was very well reviewed. People thought that was yeah. absolutely adequate, and they didn't miss the optical viewfinder from the DSLR days. Uh, so to increase that to five point seven six is it's only going to make it better and make it nicer. It's it's impressive. I like it. Mm -hmm. um, all right, let's talk about the movie stuff didn't really change. It's about the same 
um, as far as like the resolutions and 4K movies there, S-Log 2.3, HDR, all of that's the same with the A7R 3 The thing that did change, though, with movie is AF tracking is now available when you are recording video. So IAF, you can, you can activate it by touching a person on the LCD screen and it will, in real time, as you are recording video, track the eyes. And so that's new in the, in the A7R4. Really cool for video shooters. I don't do video much. Um, I'm trying to get into some YouTube stuff a little more, but um, <laughs> it's, I'm not a big video guy. So I, I can't really speak very well to this other than they, it was very good video in the A7R3. It's still about the same other than you can now do IAF tracking. And that is a big deal. Yeah, and just by being able to touch the person on the screen and it it knows, okay, this is who I need, that's pretty sweet too because, you know, that maybe you're photographing someone who won an award or something like that or some sports celebrity or whatever and you're just like, make sure you follow this person, done. And it's, it's right. kind of nice to have that option for sure. Okay, uh, another one is the USB port on the camera is now USB Type-C 3.2. And you might wonder, well, okay, that's I, I don't really use the USB with my camera. What's the big deal there? Uh, and and I'd, I'd agree with you. It's like really easy to pop the memory card out, put it into a, a nice, fast USB card reader and copy it to your computer. So for the most part, for that kind of usage, this doesn't matter. The place where it's going to matter is with tethering. And uh, that means you're not going to be able to take the 61 megapixel image file, which again, we talked about how big those are going to be. And when you are tethering and you want that, the picture you just took to show up on your computer, the speed of this port is going to matter and it's double as fast. So with the A7R3, you got 10 gigabits per second with the A7R4 because it's type C 3.2, it doubles to 20 gigabits per second. And, uh, and that will matter. That will matter as you're transferring these massive files from the, the camera to your computer when you're tethered. So that, that's kind of a big deal there. Um, they well, also, that, go that ahead. might matter too for the video shooters. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember. Does this have its own dedicated HDMI or do you need a, a, something to go through this USB-C? For some reason, I'm, I'm not remembering that spec. Yeah, I don't remember because either. Because a lot of times you can record to an external uh, video recorder and so it might there might be some benefits on this port with that too but anyway it's just for some reason it got me thinking on video transfer as well yeah that might be i know for sure it was made a big deal for the tethering and they kind of needed it because these files are going to be so massive Um, they they it would be awkward to be waiting for a lot like have your tethering be waiting way longer than you used to because the megapixels went up and and uh you don't want that that to happen. So they, they had to upgrade this to, to make that work. They also added wireless tethering. So you can now tether wirelessly. But boy, do you want to see it be slow? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it won't matter what wireless kind of thing you got going on, what Wi-Fi signal you've got. That thing is going to be really slow in comparison to connecting it up via, via USB-C. So you'd be way better off to go wired instead of wireless but kind of cool that you can at least do it and maybe uh maybe i I don't know the details so it could be that 
when you tether wirelessly this way, um, maybe we're talking an iPad and you can get a JPEG preview out of the raw. I don't know. I don't know all the details. Yeah. I, it, they're, all I had really was a, a tiny blip on this. So we'll see what the testing brings and whether the wireless feature is, is something that's really good or not. I just can imagine full raw file from that 61 megapixel image trying to go over wireless is going to be slow. Yep. All right. Um, the body has been changed a little. Not a ton, but a little. And it, it the downside is it means it has to have a new vertical grip. The vertical grip that you've had for the A7R 3 is not going to fit the A7R 4 which I would normally complain about. Like, why do they change it? So you have to buy a new one. That's That's ridiculous. But in this case... As I looked at the images, the the body itself, especially on the right-hand side of the camera, got a little deeper. And that was one of the complaints I had in the very limited time. Don't take this as like I'm saying the A7R 3 was terrible camera. It's not. It's an awesome camera. I'd, I'd love to have it and shoot it more. Um, but I found the ergonomics of the A7R 3 a little bit... Uh, unfavorable for me. I'm I'm six foot two. I'm kind of a big guy. I have big hands. Uh, it's it's something that didn't fit me very well. I found like shooting a basketball game is what I rented it for, and, and I put it through the paces and shooting a basketball game. It was hard for me to like. I had to constantly be wringing out my hand because it was it was getting sore from holding this camera, hmm. which didn't happen with my Canon cameras. They just ergonomically fit me better. That's a me thing. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's for everybody a problem. But I'm kind of excited at the A7R4 because it looks like they've tried to address that a little. I don't know if it'll be enough. I want to I want to rent this camera and test it out and see if the ergonomics improved for me. Um, but I'm kind of excited about this change that it made it a little deeper body. And I know I'm not alone in complaining about the ergonomics of the camera, how it felt in your hand. I know there were other photographers who kind of felt the same way, but everything else was so good. They're like, I don't care if it doesn't feel good in my hand. I'm using this camera. Um, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, okay. It's available. Oh, let's see. Let's talk about battery life. Okay. And this is really hard to tell. The way the battery life is tested, we've said this before as we've reviewed other cameras based solely on specs. It's tough. There's a, there's a standard. It's called the SEPA standard. And the way that it does the testing, it's not truly a practical way to do it. I mean, I know they have to baseline it somehow. And so this is a way to try to make it apples to apples as best you can from camera to camera. But it's not a very practical test as far as like what we'll actually expect. So anyway, you're using the same battery that came in the A7R 3 So that's, that's a positive, I think, because you can reuse the batteries if you're a current A7R 3 owner. And then um, with the battery, you'll get about 670 shots if you use the LCD and 530 using the EVF, the electronic viewfinder. And uh, that feels so low, feels really, really low on how many shots you can take. A lot of DSLRs will have, you know, double that in, in their specs. But I, what I, I'm going to reserve judgment on this one until I see people who have actually had hands on with the camera and see how many shots they get. Because the, the A7R 3 I think, had really similar rating. And people were getting like a lot more shots than that when they were using the camera. So um, I'll, I'll reserve judgment on this spec. Um, okay. Oh, another change to the, the body. Exposure compensation dial. Uh, so <laughs> there's a dial on the camera where you can do exposure compensation. 
And for for new photographers that don't know what that is, you probably just want to go look that up. I don't want to I don't want to spend time in this episode. I think we've even talked about it either on here on Master Photography or in the uh, in my Photo Taco podcast. I, I think I have an episode about exposure compensation, but um, it, it can mess with your exposure settings if it gets bumped. So if you're not intending to use it and it gets bumped off, that's going to really mess things up for you. And that was a complaint that I had seen from quite a few photographers with the a7R3 was that just seems to get bumped, whether it's in the camera bag or even while they're shooting, they kind of bump up against it and change it. And they didn't like that. So it was like such a thing to, to a lot of photographers that I saw like on Twitter during the announcement of this a7R4 when they first showed the first image of the camera, people were like, oh, it has a lock on the exposure compensation dial. Yes, <laughs> because yeah. because it had bit them enough that it got accidentally bumped and had ruined shots for them or at least made it harder for them to get the the image they wanted out of the shot they took. And so now it has a little lock on it. Uh, it's a good thing. It, it's kind of an indicator to me that Sony is listening to the photographers. They're they're watching out for like usability problems and what's caused issues and how it, it has such a simple thing probably for them to put include a lock on the exposure compensation dial on the camera and now it's fixed it's just that's what a great thing that a camera manufacturer reacted that way and uh, and did that i love it well and they also did something with the battery cover door so it's a little better weather sealed and it makes a lot more sense a little more robust and better weather sealed so it's things like that that they're also it might really be kind of a small sort of issue or whatever small detail but it's those small details that really help you know seal the deal on a camera like this so it's it's good when they're when they're responsive like that for sure um okay and then the last thing that i noted down is i kind of reviewed the various um specs that that people reported on the camera was the response of the touchscreen is supposed to be one and a half times faster so that that's really cool too. The response time with touchscreens is a big deal. We're all used to how responsive our phones are. That's been something that's been worked on for years and years and years and years. So that we have this expectation about how fast touch should work on a screen. And uh, and it's a little faster. I didn't notice it being particularly slow with the A7R3 when I used it. But to have it faster is always better. It's always good to have that responsiveness go up. So that's, that's really cool. Um, and then, so it'll be released in September, 2019 at a price of about $3,500 us when, when it's released in September, what do you think of the price Brent? I'm not, you know, totally shocked by it. I'm actually pleased that it's not like 3750 or something. That would have been something that I was a little more expecting on this, uh, because certainly it's got a few, pieces that are just amazingly good and amazingly wonderful. Uh, so I just expected a little more premium of a price, but this isn't too, ta- not too terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's reasonable. It's, it's a very reasonable price for this camera. And you know, the, the cool thing is here, which is different from a lot of other discussions we've had on recent camera releases. There's a, a, a improvement from the a seven R three to four. We've talked about that across almost all of these specs it either stayed the same, didn't get worse, <laughs> or it got better. And that's what I'd like to see happen 
in more of the the camera bodies. Now, I, I'm excited to see what other manufacturers come up with in their next iterations because I, I, I'm guessing it's going to be uh, a far more compelling solution, a better advancement than we've had uh, so far. But it, it's just really cool. I, I love seeing Sony slowed down a little. They're not releasing them nearly yeah. as fast, which kind of needed to happen. That was kind of ridiculous, the pace they were on before. You'd buy a camera and then a month or two later, like, what? <laughs> I just bought this. No, it wasn't that fast, but <laughs> but it was it, it was, was it felt like that, it though. was really fast. The the pace that they were at, which I guess they kind of needed to do so that they arrive at the point they're at with these cameras that are pretty mature now in the mirrorless world. This is a very leading camera and across all of them, like mirrorless or not. It's a pretty leading camera today, spec-wise, and uh, will produce phenomenal images. Now, like I said at the beginning, as we were talking about switching, I think I think you can get way more out of the cameras that you have today, and and don't jump so fast to something new. Even though we've been raving about some of these specs and they're very good, uh, you you can do you can accomplish so much with the camera you have, even entry-level cameras. Even the cameras that we had a little bit more negative kind of review of the specs, they were still going to be producing phenomenal images. You just, you really can't buy a terrible camera today. It's just not, you can't. They're all good. Even the Fuji Bent Brent bot that he re- decided to return, it can produce stunning images. You can and do. And I did get some stunning images stunning out images. of it, actually. I want to make sure I get sure. that out there, too. Yes. I actually was able to create some really awesome images. Absolutely. It's nothing. There's nothing on my return with that that was just like, oh, I couldn't create anything. No, I had some really awesome stuff. So anyway, sorry. Back, yeah, back no, to- no. I'm, I'm glad you put that in there. And uh, so, so be careful. I, I guess that's what I want to say, especially to the new photographers. It's so easy. You're going to hear it constantly in your head. I mean, it's the job of the manufacturers to do this. They are supposed to market to you to make you want to upgrade. That's what their job is. They need to spend convince you to spend more money. And they're very good at it. They know what to do. And yes, there's new features, new specs, new things that are always going to be an improvement over the stuff before. And you could probably do better with it. But if you're starting out, you bought that entry-level DSLR, don't dump it immediately and get this thing because of a rave review from us or anybody else. Stick with it. Stick with the camera you've got. Master it. Get to the point where... The camera is limiting you, and then look to to find something that's uh, that will will fit you better, and and see if you can you can get more out of it at that point. That's that's my advice to to the beginners out there, the hobbyists. It's okay, stick with your camera. I've I stuck with my Canon seventy Mark II for a very long time. I don't have any plans to upgrade um, because I'm getting what I need out of it, and and switching is going to be just. A lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a big deal. After seeing Brent go through it, I'm not very I'm I'm even less interested now <laughs> in, in upgrading anything. I uh, I just I like what I have. There's not anything compelling me to move to anything different. All right. So I answered the question already for myself. I'm not gonna buy day seven or three. I'm I'm gonna rent it. For sure, I'm gonna rent it. I want to see how it does in a basketball game. I want to see. Um, the differences between what I did with the A7R3 and the A7R4, just so I have some hands-on experience with it and can talk about it on the show. And it's cool. I love I love playing around with new tech anyway. I'm definitely going to rent the camera, but I, I'm not ready to uh, to say I'm going to switch to it. 
It's not because of the camera. It's not because of the price. It's mainly just the time and effort it will take for me to switch over. I don't want to do right now. So, and and uh, I'm I know I could probably get uh, there's some images I could probably get better out of the A7R4 than I can get out of my Canon 7D Mark II, but it's not all of them. I have I have a lot of images I can create that I don't I don't need anything else, and I'm not looking to change. And so, even though this one does. I know I thought a half second about it. <laughs> I thought a half second about it. All right. So Brent, what do you think? Are you going to switch to the A7R4? So um, I'm, cor- I'm sort of I'm more patient, of course, than I than I was. If, if I decided to keep the Fuji, I would probably just say a resounding no because right, I would right. want to wrap my mind and everything yeah. around the Fuji. Uh, now that I've kind of said I'm going to step back and I'll be more patient about it, uh, this is a camera. I'm gonna I'm gonna just go right out there and say this is a camera where, possibly unfairly so, uh, Sony has finally piqued my interest, and I want to I want to really put the huge asterisk caveat to that and, and explain why I put it that in that way. For some reason that I cannot explain, you know, you, you have people to, to put it in another way. You have people, you know, they love the Chevy or they love their Ford, right? right? And you're either in one camp or the other kind of a thing. And for some reason, I just really haven't been moved by whatever Sony's doing. I don't know if it's an ergonomics thing or just what. I understand the technical quality is is quite good. And Uh I understand a lot of things about them. There's wonderful photographers that create wonderful images with them. But for me, it's just for some reason, hasn't quite gotten me excited. I just can't explain it though. Uh So if you ask me why... I'm going to simply tell you, I don't have an answer. It, it <laughs> okay. just is. But this camera comes along and was like, you know what? There's something here that is, I don't know if I want to call it, it's mature enough or it's whatever. It doesn't matter how, because I can't explain it either, but I'm piqued by it. I'm, I'm interested. I'm not going to say I'm going to go out and buy it. I, I do. I'm very tempted to rent it, uh-huh. but it is definitely a very interesting camera for me. And I go and compare it, you know, because the Panasonic line has been very tempting for me sure. too, because I love the idea of Leica, Sigma, and Panasonic coming together with their R, excuse me, their L mount lens. But the somewhat similarly specced S1R is $3,700 US. Uh-huh. This one's going to be a couple hundred dollars cheaper and it has a few more things, you know, a few more bells and whistles to it. So it seems, you know, Sony is, you know, playing that leapfrog, but they're, they're doing it appropriately. So, and, uh, it's, it's a respectable machine for sure. So I, I, I will I'm pretty sure I'll rent it. Yeah. Yep. When it comes out in September, I think they're going to be rented out. Like it's probably going to be hard to get a hold of one. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it's probably yeah. going to be tough to even rent one in September. You're probably going to have to wait a little bit or get on the yeah. list. Or I don't know. I don't know what it'll be. Or maybe they'll charge a massive premium because they can <laughs> to rent that specific Good, camera. Yeah, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm excited to try it out too. I, I want to give it a go and, and see what it's like. Um, it's really exciting. Very exciting camera. I love that Sony is pushing everybody. To, uh, to try to yeah. keep up with them. It's only going to be good for us. The more competition we can have between these manufacturers, the better. And uh, it, it's awesome. I, I love it. What a time to be a photographer. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so much fun. I love it. Okay, let's close up the show. We've, we've gone on long enough. And we're going to, like we do every episode, we have a couple of doodads. Brent, why don't you tell us about yours first? So I picked up a Velo FreeWave LR kit with two receivers. So this is a radio trigger for flashes. We've talked about all sorts of different 
types of these devices on the show. Uh, I, I got it because it comes with two receivers. I have a need coming up in Colorado, actually, um, going on a on a trip here shortly, and so I'm going to be photographing some airplanes. And I'm like, well, I need to see about how I'm going to do this. And so I, I ended up getting uh, a Godox uh, softbox, portable softbox for the speedlights, yep. yep. and then. I was like, well, I want I want two receivers. So rather than buying two kits with two uh, transmitters, uh, I just bought a single receiver and our single transmitter and two receivers. And so it's a pretty it's about a hundred bucks. So it's a pretty decent thing. And I figured I'll give that a try. It looks like it was going to work pretty well. Excellent, I love it. Um, all right, mine is going to be totally free, which is good. I we had some feedback a little bit ago, like you guys are killing me with these doodads that are so expensive. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, it used to be the idea was you can add stuff to your bag for cheap and it will help you. And uh, so I'm going to give you a free one, kind of a little bit of self-serving too, because it's my photo taco podcast. I just barely today well, on, on uh, July 18th published my take the intimidation out of Photoshop uh, photo taco podcast episode I recorded with Aaron Nace. And if you're not familiar with Aaron, he's the guy behind flurn.com. He's incredible for instructing on how to use Photoshop and Lightroom. He's, he's really, really good at it. He also makes it look really easy. So, so you can, you'll have to take it with a great assault. Like, um, you're going to have to catch up to Aaron. He's very skilled yeah. in, in being able to do it, but he does a really good job of teaching Photoshop. So I invited him to come on the show and um, our idea or what we were trying to do with this episode was try to take the intimidation out of Photoshop. There's so many photographers. I hear from it very regularly. I see it in the Facebook group for the photo, the master photography Facebook group. I see photographers say, yeah, I only use Lightroom. I've tried to get into Photoshop, but I go in there. I just don't even know what to do. I'm, I just, I don't, I can't figure it out. And they give up and they, and they don't ever, they don't do it again. So this is the show for you. If you've felt intimidated, you've opened up Photoshop and you're like, oh, what now? What do I do? There's buttons everywhere. There's menus everywhere. <laughs> There's things all over the place and I don't understand how to use this. Then this is an hour-long episode with Aaron where we try really hard to give you some practical advice on how to get started. Not going to solve it all for you for sure. There's just too much for Photoshop oh. there, but uh, but get, getting started on it. And I really want you to point, point you to the show notes too for this episode because I worked really, really hard on them this time. There's 6,000 word show notes. And I got, I, I added some helpful images into the show notes too of, from Photoshop of the stuff we're talking about. So you can kind of follow along and, and have a, a bit of a guide there. And so, so check out the show notes, make sure you see those and listen to the episode. And then um, there's a discount code uh, for a, a subscription at Flurn that I mentioned in the episode, but I'm not going to say it here because you got to go listen to the episode. <laughs> so, so go check that out. It's over at phototacopodcast.com and we'll have a show, a link to that specific episode in the show notes of this episode. So there's my do that of the week. All right. Closing up the show now. Reminders, we have uh, the show notes over at photo or sorry, masterphotographypodcast.com for all of the episodes here. We try to work really hard on making the show notes so they're searchable and you can find episodes. And if you if you remember something that we said a while ago, you can hopefully go and search and find that. And there, the Facebook group I already talked about, go go head up the show notes and, and get that link so you can go join that group. 
Instagram, um, created the account, haven't done a ton with it <laughs> yet. The intention was to put something out with every episode, uh, you know, kind of reminding people of, of what the episodes are. Uh, hopefully we'll pick that up a little bit. And then you can find my work, uh, jsharmanphotos.com. Again, phototacopodcast.com for the other podcast I do. And then all my Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook connections you can find in the show notes. Brent, where can people find you? You can find me online at brentbergherm.com. So that's just my name with a .com after it. Latitudephotographypodcast.com. And I did have um, a few weeks ago or so, I think it was, I mentioned I was going to try and organize a meetup in Denver. I've actually had to cancel that because my my time there has just gotten way too much now that I have this uh, commercial gig that I'm going to be shooting down there. Uh, I, I have a workshop that still has some openings. So you can look at my website, find the Denver workshop and the people that I'm working with, I'm working with a Lone Tree Photo Club. They actually, initially they were going to, I think they were going to charge more if you weren't a member. And now they've decided to go uh, away from that, I think is what they said. Anywho, if that's not the case, I guess don't quote me or whatever, but <laughs> I have the link for that registration there. Um, I'm doing the same thing in Boise this Sunday, and that's sold out. Hallelujah. And we just have yet a few more spots open in Denver. So if that's of interest to you, uh, check it out. Uh, we're going to do a print workshop. It's going to be amazing to have the printers there, your photography, and we're going to go through it and get some awesome prints coming out. And then I've also got the uh, Oregon Coast workshop also listed on the website, which is uh, six days of shooting and printing. So it's going to be a fantastic experience out there on the Oregon Coast. Excellent. Excellent. All right. That's the end of the show, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate all of you listeners. We couldn't do the show if you weren't listening, obviously. <laughs> and yeah, we'd love to you. have you share it. If if you haven't shared it with other photographers, uh, please do. We, we'd love to have that. And it, if you can get them to subscribe to the show, that's even better. That helps us a lot. The subscriptions is what helps us. The, the comments, the rating and reviewing in iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast are, are fun. We like having those, but they don't really help us to grow the show. It's subscriptions that help us to grow the show. So We'd love to have you subscribe if you're not yet. And if you want to share, we'd love to have that happen if you find the show valuable and helpful to you. And uh, we will see you again in another seven days. 